You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we go any further with the show, we just wanted to give you a heads up that this week's episode, uh, like a few when we first started, is being pre-recorded as I, Tim, will be heading out of the country for a couple weeks and won't be able to record shows on our regularly rotating weekly basis. Um, Our apologies if the next three shows are a little shorter or not as timely as they usually are. We will be back to our standard weekly recording schedule in November. Thanks for understanding. And now that that's out of the way, let's get something to drink. All right. This week, uh, you, Tim, have finally, finally given in to my requests. And you're trying a pumpkin beer. A pumpkin beer, actually, to be specific. Yes. Uh, in celebration, I think, of the badge that we have running right now, as well as the most recent release here, we are going to crack into pumpkin ale from Dogfish Head. I I honestly, I probably should check my history before we do anything, but I'm pretty sure that I have not had any pumpkin beers. There is actually an app for that. There's an easy way. Oh, I'm going to eat my words right now. I'm going to eat my Uh-oh. words. I have had quite a few. All right, so let, let's get a history then, just of, of maybe some of the ones that are maybe more unique, some that maybe folks have heard of before. What's your pumpkin beer history? I have uh, the pumpkin from uh, Uinta. I have fun- Funky Pumpkin from Boulevard. Uh, I have something from Two Roads called Rhodes Mary's Baby. Um, I also have the uh, pumpkin ale from Kinbunkport Brewing. Hmm. And funny enough, I'm just going to sit here and put my foot back in my mouth. I have had pumpkin ale in the past, but (laughs) admittedly, I only rated it three and this was back in 2012. So I think I can stand behind not always liking pumpkin beers and I never got in on the craze. So I just never seek them out. So let's just let's just go with I never developed a taste for them. Not I've never had them. Got it. Got it. Which makes a lot of sense. I myself have also had the uh, the Uinta pumpkin beer. There's uh, an Anderson Valley Brewing Company's pumpkin beer. It's got like a bear with, you know, antlers on it. Pretty cool looking. Uh, there is a pump kick from New Belgium Brewing Company. Uh, but on average, it looks to me like I'm rating these between probably a four and a five for the most part. Wow. Uh, there were a couple of Bottle Logic beers as a part of a flight I got back uh, about two years ago. They had a pumpkin chai beer. They had uh, something called Dark Harvest, which was probably one of their barrel age series, and one called Picture If You Will, uh, which I, I don't know if that was a part of their Dungeons and Dragons series, but I know they do kind of you know, beers that are themed around tabletop gaming and stuff. Yeah. And that one was that one was a 13.3% ABV beer. So picture, if you will, Kyle, uh, after drinking all of those Bottle Logic beers, uh, going in for that one and definitely rating that one up. That's a holiday mess. That's a good point. I, I guess I could also back my original statement up by um, saying that the highest rated out of all of the six pumpkin slash yam beers that I've had, the highest rated was the fun- the Funky Pumpkin, which is a spiced sour ale from Boulevard. So still going to say that I was probably leaning more towards the sour than the pumpkin, but 
you know. All right. So the one that we've got here, again, like we were saying, is Dogfish Head's Pumpkin Ale. Brown ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. This is one that we mentioned actually last show that qualifies for a badge. So if you haven't tried this one yet, I think this is a really great opportunity to uh, to try this and uh, kind of ring in the fall season with a beer that is both kind of light on the pumpkin side. Um, it is labeled a pumpkin ale. So it, it is more definitely ale flavored than it would be kind of barrel age um pumpkin soup style beers yes and that badge it's ink eat drink and be scary um and it's available till the end of october so you have the rest of the month to unlock it all right so i poured this out um it's looking pretty good very kind of uh amber um mostly clear with a nice kind of khaki head on it tiny little bubbles um not super small but but foaming pretty nicely i like that yeah it's it's the uh the carbonation is very active yeah uh i actually poured it into my cerebral glass that has little uh like brain etched into the middle of of the glass to try and um coax out a couple of those those bubbles and and keep sort of the uh the head rolling on this it's really nice looking so this one's actually coming in at seven uh, percent, twenty-eight IBU. So a little bit of a uh, little bit of that uh, bitterness in there. And as Kyle said, it's described as a full-bodied brown ale with smooth hints of pumpkin and brown sugar. Uh, we brew our pumpkin ale with pumpkin meat, brown sugar, and spices. As the season cools, this is the perfect beer to warm up with. So we'll do a little bit more uh, detail about pumpkin beer a little bit later in the show but one thing that is really noticeable off of the um you know off of the scent here the aroma is that spice that spice character um Mm -hmm. admittedly a few years back after many years of just being mocking the pumpkin spice latte and just just being like there's no way i will ever drink that that is so for lack of a better term basic but eventually i gave in and i actually liked it um, and the aroma and that spiciness, you know, the whole pumpkin pie in a glass thing. And that's what yeah. a lot of pumpkin beers have started shifting towards. Um, probably more uh, likable than just, you know, whatever a pumpkin would smell like uh, off the bat. <laughs> but I'm getting a lot of that off of this guy. Yeah, it's um, uh, definitely the when you walk into a uh, maybe a department store and they finally have things set up and just the artificial smells are all around. Um, I in terms of like memories that the Halloween smells kind of coax out for me, it's probably like uh, obviously there's like the family side and, you know, the getting together um, and Halloween candy. I know uh, has a, its own smell as well, but it's also kind of the uh, Halloween costume aisle that has its own smell. And a lot of that comes from the latex masks or the plastic oh, wow. masks that are in there. And so that smell for me is also thoroughly associated with Halloween and this time of year in a really kind of weird way. Obviously I'm not looking for that type of uh, memory to be evoked by a beer, but the, the spice character for sure. As soon as I opened up this bottle, uh, came straight through. It's really, really nice. I think the I think that holiday spice uh, character it plays a lot more in the aroma than the flavor. Um, taking a sip, it's uh, getting very you know that that sort of um, 
what you would expect an ale to taste like. That sort of I'm, yeah, I didn't want to say crisp, yeah. but it is very, um, it's a lot lighter than you would expect, both from the color and from the description of it, where it's supposed to be like spiced and, you know, real heavy in fall. But I, it, even though, even though it, it's more of that, that beer and that ale flavor that you get off the bat, it does, the, the spice does, um, it hits, I think, a little bit more on the back of the tongue um, and you, you get it there. Um, it's not as strong as the aroma, but it's definitely it definitely gives you a nice sort of holiday a holiday jingle in your mouth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's it, you get some of the sweetness from the brown sugar uh, for sure, mm-hmm. and I think though that that is balanced out very well with the ale flavors, whatever hops and things like that are used in this particular beer. I think when you think of the word balanced, this is a perfect example of that that kind of balance we have we have balance in ipas and we have balance in in stouts and things like that porter is also kind of one that can be very balanced in terms of like your bitterness and your sweetness and your maltiness uh but this is probably one of the most that kind of embody that that feeling of balance where it's very drinkable and and thirst quenching but also like it's got that that fall vibe to it 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 feels kind of cozy and kind of warm yeah this is true some quick notes here from dogfish head's uh, website the aroma is cinnamon allspice and nutmeg which i totally get that very like pumpkin pie thing going on um, flavor is spicy notes of cinnamon brown sugar and pumpkin i can get the spicy part because i think that's what that tingle on the tongue is not not spicy in terms of hot mm. but spicy in terms of just that like tingling feeling of all of those holiday spices coming together and then the mouth kind of herbaceous yes 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 the mouth feel a full body with lingering spices and cinnamon tingle which i think is also what i'm getting that whole back of the tongue Hmm. little tingly thing going on the yeah the kind of finish is very cinnamon heavy um if you're thinking of almost like a um spanish rice pudding where it's not an overwhelming flavor of cinnamon, but you get a a sort of like cinnamony finish yeah. that kind of lingers. I totally get what not you're like saying. cinnamon gum, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. And for you specifically, Kyle, some pairings uh, it pairs well with sharp cheddar, ooh, uh, turkey, roasted duck, lamb stuffing, and dessert dumplings. Hmm. So basically, holidays. Yeah, dessert dumplings are interesting. Is that is that like a um like a cherry tamale almost? Or I wonder if that's like you know when I think dumpling I think um the little you know Japanese dumplings right right and or there's the, the dessert kind that have like the red bean paste is that what one of them maybe yeah 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 a common dessert flavor in in Japanese cuisine is is the red bean paste for sure I'm sure that's I'm sure that's completely way off what they're going for but anyway uh just to round things out here with some of the I think um. More interesting pumpkin beers I've had in in my life. Uh, we've got Pumpkin from Southern Tier from 2016. That one was really good. And I think probably the heaviest one I ever had um, was from Avery. Uh, Pump Kine, K-Y-N-E. It's in, in brackets oh, there, yeah, 2016. Yeah. Yep. 18.8 ABV. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I've I seen that around, and I should probably put that on the list to try out because that one always seems to get a lot of um, a lot of talk. I love, though, that we can go from something that's super light, like the one we're having today, to something that is, you know, 
Kentucky bourbon barrel aged pumpkin beer that has a completely different flavor. Um, it's it shows that there's just such a range to this style. And uh, obviously, we're going to learn a little bit more about it in this episode. Yes, we are. But before we get to that, have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. And don't forget to check in to uh, one of these dogfish head pumpkin ales and unlock your badge. All right, so let's move on then to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style that we just sort of teased a bit. Tim, what do we have? I feel like that was a little bit more than a tease. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've shown our cards completely. Yes, just yes, yes. All of them. Um, this week, we're going to dig in a little bit uh, to the history of pumpkin beer. Uh, I This will be a pretty brief overview, but I thought it was kind of interesting because to me, pumpkin beers are really kind of like a recent trend. I feel like they've only really picked up in the last, I don't know, three to five years, maybe in terms of Mm -hmm. being everywhere and being out before Thanksgiving and being very high in popularity. Um, But contrary to that, they actually have a pretty uh, deep history. According to an article uh, on Serious Eats that I read, uh, Samuel Stern's The American Herbal or Materia Medica, which is a book that or a document or book that was published in 1801, actually name checked pumpkin beer uh, just after porter and ale. They basically considered pumpkin beer essentially healthful, noting different kinds of beers, ale and um, etc. are often prepared according to the prescriptions of the physicians, all of which as well as pumpkin and bran beer, partake of the virtue of the ingredients, but put into such liquors. So basically saying that, you know, because you're putting healthy pumpkin into beer, you're getting healthy stuff back. (laughs) That's pretty great. I mean, it it reminds me a lot of the stories of how uh, sodas came to be, right? They were sold to you at pharmacies. And that's, it's like, you want this health drink? Well, it's got, you know, they were sold kind of as like cure-alls for a lot of things. And I can see how beer could also kind of fall into that category, especially if you're like pumpkins. They're pretty great, right? What if you put them in a beer? <laughs> exactly. I, I'm sure somebody thought that. The main reason pumpkin was adopted as a beer ingredient, contrary to that, was that during the early colonial period, it, it was just simply easily available. Uh, Pumpkins were a native plant, and they were one that was completely unknown to most Europeans before the 16th century. Uh, And while the time frame, good malt also wasn't really um, accessible. So fermented sugars had to be found where they could, and the first pumpkin beers really helped with that. Um, The meat of the pumpkin took the place of malt entirely. So imagine a beer brewed completely with pumpkin meat and no malt at all. Wow. So, okay, that that just means the all of the fermentable sugars are coming from the pumpkin itself, which pumpkins, I, I don't know from a, a physiological uh, pumpkin side whether or not they have a lot of sugars in them. I know I have made a number of soups out of pumpkin and especially kabocha pumpkin, uh, which is sort of like a green Japanese pumpkin that you can eat the skin from. Um, but these are probably, I mean, they've got to have plenty of sugars in them. Well, according to Google, 
one cup of pumpkin has 3.2 grams of sugar. Uh, okay, so not like a, n- not real heavy. It's in the squash family, likely. So you're still getting some some carbohydrates and sugars in there. Yeah. Okay. For for example, or for um, comparison, one medium apple has about 19 grams. Right. So that, yeah, yeah. So, uh, that makes sense. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess you very very interesting. Probably had to use quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pumpkin beer continued to be a staple throughout the 18th century, but its popularity began to wane by the early 19th century as the pumpkin itself began to be viewed as something that was quaint and rustic, and as access to quality malts became more commonplace. So pumpkin, it's like, oh, that's nice. Those are quaint, but we're going to use this cool new malt. You know, that's sort of a a vibe. They were just they were they were old school and people didn't want to use it anymore. Well, when you're looking at 18th and 19th century production techniques, that is industrial revolution time. You know, that is that is like this can be far better accomplished by using grains and this thing where I can grow it in a field and not have to worry about, you know, crows flying over and sticking their beaks in all my pumpkin. (laughs) The pumpkin beer actually reappeared as a beer ingredient in the colonial revival in the 1840s, this time more as a flavoring agent as opposed to a full-blown pumpkin beer, but it never really regained its previous um, popularity at this point. Modern pumpkin beer, as I was mentioning earlier, tends to aim for more of a pumpkin pie in a glass as opposed to pumpkin in a glass aesthetic. Uh, Spices such as nutmeg and cloves are very common ingredients, but where did the notion of reviving pumpkin beer originate? Um, According to this article from Sirius Eats, the honor goes to Buffalo Bill's Brewery, which has been making their America's original pumpkin beer since the late 1980s, using one of George Washington's recipes as an inspiration. All right, fun fact then. Buffalo Bill's is from my college hometown, where... That was one of the first what? beers that I ever had way prior no. to um, Untapped <laughs> existing back in college. Uh, Buffalo Bills is in downtown Hayward and their, I guess, pumpkin beer is available pretty much everywhere. I remember seeing it on an in-capped in Southern California for a bit. Um, but in Northern California, it is very, very widely distributed. So that's that's so wild that they get the honor, though. Hmm. Hey, look at that. I I mean, I had no idea that, that what that brewery was. How ironic that it's like you're one of your early favorites. Yeah, that that is so cool. Although the experimental batches used pumpkin as an ingredient, the commercial version stuck with pumpkin pie spices instead. That's when we're talking again about the original pumpkin beer, which is coming from Buffalo Bill's Brewery. Um, though apparently there is actually an imperial pumpkin ale available that uses actual pumpkin. So that that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how breweries are are steering a bit away from the idea of just like a, a pure pumpkin beer and more f- towards that holiday pumpkin pie thing, which I think would probably make sense because, you know, pumpkin pie with spices and sweetness sounds a lot more appetizing than just drinking a pumpkin. Yeah, it does. When you, I mean, here, <laughs> here in the U.S., we do a lot of uh, non- eating things to pumpkins we carve them we put faces in them we uh put them on our desk for months and months and months and watch them rot slowly until you forget that it's there and you pick it up and there's this goo on the bottom yes Uh, yeah it's it's kind of a mess um i love that there is sort of this movement toward 
utilizing pumpkins in a culinary way and not not trying to rely simply on their aesthetic value. Um, so I'm I'm all for pumpkin beers. I'm super glad that uh, that they have a, a a bit of a deep history here in California. I, I'm I'm really excited to seek out more of these, and I'm glad that brewers are continuing to make them. And you're actually in luck because there are more than 400 pumpkin beers to choose from today, according to this article. Uh, modern drinkers may not be tasting anything like their beer's colonial ancestors, but it's still nice and now tasty. Uh, nod to brewing history. So we've actually got two badges that you can earn from this, uh, which is brew. That's one that I believe goes out on October 31st or around there. We still doing that one? Yes, that will be available this year from October 30th and 31st. So you will have those two days to pick it up. All right. And we've also got gourd to the last drop, which very, Uh, very good. Appreciate the puns. Uh, That one qualifies for the pumpkin slash yam beers. So very cool. Uh, go earn those badges along with the the badge that we just earned today with these um, and enjoy a pumpkin beer, would you? If you've never had one, highly recommended. Uh, try and expand your horizons. That's what Tim and I are doing here. I'm going to go out and try and find something that's bourbon barrel aged now because that mixed with pumpkin spices sounds fantastic. Oh, it is. Trust me. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com. Coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Our first article is coming to us from Forbes.com, and this one rolls right in with the theme of the day. IHOP launches its own beer. Now, I feel like we we read about Blockbuster and Harpoon countering or partnering with uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Well, now IHOP's getting in on the game. Pumpkin Pancake Stout. What? Yeah. So IHOP rolled out a pumpkin-flavored beer in the New York tri-state area in um, in the last week of September. The IHOP's pumpkin pancake stout was inspired by oh. and designed to pair with the chain's fall pancake flavors, pumpkin spice, Cinestack, and pumpkin Cinestack. These are really, really, one, good names, but two, I hops. Yeah, there you go. Come on. You can't you can't beat that. No. They need to get out of the breakfast game and get into the beer. There we go. I, this might be their first step. Mm, it has to be. What else? What else? Uh now I know you're going to tell me more about this specific beer, but are there any other opportunities for I, I hop here? Are there uh, blueberry maybe or maple syrup? You can make a series based off of the uh, the syrup flavors, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, eggs sound not great for not beer, so much. but maybe somebody will figure it out someday. Orange juice. I mean, we're getting close. We really are. Um, <laughs> tell me about this beer, though. <laughs> uh, so IHOP's Pumpkin Pancake Stout is limited edition fall-inspired craft beer brewed by Keegan Ales that pairs the flavor of pumpkin and seasonal spices with IHOP's world-famous buttermilk pancakes into a rich, smooth stout. It's not to be confused as a breakfast beer, but rather a craft beer made with real pumpkin and seasonal spices lending true to IHOP's best of fall pancakes, uh, shared Stephanie Peterson, IHOP's executive director of communications. 
Since its debut, it has also been available at beer festivals throughout the state of New York, so it's very, very, very limited. Uh, the bulk of the chain's restaurants don't yet offer the beer, and the company said it has no intentions of creating a private label wine or spirits brand anytime in the future. Oh. The um, flavor profile pairs nicely with our new Ultimate Steak Burgers, specifically an IHOP mushroom steak burger to go. It's nice and refreshing mm. glass of fall. The brew combines the flavors of IHOP's world-famous pancake batter, pumpkin maple syrup, and other spices to create an innovative new flavor profile, concluded Peterson. This is really interesting. So they're they're recommending a pairing. The, a, a, where is the Cicerone on staff at IHOP? That's what I'm wondering. Like, are they going to come around and, and refill my my mug like they would the coffee so frequently? Ooh, is it unlimited? Bottom Bottomless IHOP beer? I'm so very, very intrigued with this. It's unfortunate that they're not going to start their own private label for these, but the fact that you can get them at an IHOP is just that extra level on top of, of well, I guess the, the stack of pancakes, right? <laughs> it's the it's the, the butter and the, the syrup. And But is it a... Is it a full or a half stack? Oh, it's full. It's completely full. I mean, they're, they're the. I haven't tried the pumpkin pancakes though at IHOP. Maybe that is. I, I would want to at least try it and pair it together and see how close to the real thing you're getting. But uh, this is this is really intriguing. All right, IHOP, I'm on board. It is. Um, I did a little bit of research into this beer on Untapped. It currently has about 210 check-ins, and it's sitting at about a 3.76 average rating, which is not bad no not at all a, a couple of reviews that i did pull um is, one is a decent smooth tasting pumpkin stout with a medium cinnamon taste a bit gimmicky as the stout is a collaboration with ihop another one says had to try this it would go good with pancake emoji maple flavor is the smooth drinking stout yeah that's about what i would expect i want it to be smooth uh, medium cinnamon taste is interesting. That's kind of adjacent to what we're drinking right now. This is good. I'm I'm on board. There are lots of IHOPs around us, Tim. There's got to be a way for us to get in and try this. I don't think we're going to get the beer out here because it does say that it's limited to the New York tri-state area. <laughs> Just in New York. That's, that's unfortunate. Come on, IHOP. It would be pretty cool. Uh, moving on to our next article. This one's coming to us from vinepair.com. The Dirty Secret Ruining Your Draft Beer. Ah, let me guess. Dirty Lines. You are correct. Anyone who's worked in a fast food restaurant or movie theater knows the fountain soda myth. Colas pumped fresh on site taste better than ones from the bottle or can. And to be honest, something that my wife always notes is that McDonald's Coke always tastes better. Oh, yeah. Beyond a doubt, that is the best way to consume it. Plus, I do have to say, if we're going to get into the nitty gritty of McDonald's Coke, the size of the straw that is offered at McDonald's versus other places does change the liquid intake and the amount of flavor that can uh, wreck your palate all at once. So McDonald's is sort of like premium on the the amount of um, liquid delivered through that straw. It's very wide, you know, yes. really wide. Um, and then I'll, there's a lot of other fast food brands that just do kind of the, the skinny straw or movie theaters or, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same. This is true. I, I do prefer that wide straw. In this vein, a similar belief exists in the beer world. Um, ask any beer lover and they'll tell you there's something special about a beer poured fresh from the tap. In some cases, maybe beer really does taste better from a tap, but only if, as Kyle pointed out, the draft lines are clean. In many cases, they are not. Is there something 
in the lines that would make it not taste good? Like what what could possibly be in there? Because what I'm thinking is like, you know, you had the beer from a couple beers ago and that that somehow got stuck in there or you you had a stout on this line and you decided to put a blonde ale on it and it's just flavors not not going to do very well or it's sort of like leached into the plastic is that anything am i am i am i super far off base on on that? no you're not too far off um like the sticky syrup sludge that forms in soda fountains neglected draft beer lines um they actually are prone to microbes proteins and mineral deposits that can degrade even the best beer's flavor huh wow so just the act of putting beer through those lines uh potentially could I guess the kind of infect, like because they're microbes, right? They're they're the the little living, living little things that are in there in your yes, beer. yes, yes, yes. Um, but thankfully, the industry is now kind of aiming to try and change this issue with dirty draft lines. Um, the Brewers Association recently appointed its first draft beer quality ambassador, Matt Meadows of New Belgium Brewing, and Neil Witt of Craft Quality Solutions, uh, who's also formerly from Duvel, uh, USA. Uh, Meadow and Wit will travel the country promoting best practices uh, for preserving beer flavor, aroma, and quality, presenting at conferences and visiting beer wholesale and retail locations to demonstrate proper draft system maintenance from the time the liquid leaves the brewery to the moment it reaches the consumer. Now, I'm on board with that because obviously we all want our beer to taste as good as possible. Well, and I, you know, there's probably no shortage of information uh, available out there for that to happen. But for someone to be taking sort of the the reins of that and kind of trying to make it actually happen is is good. I think it's good to kind of have a group, one group sort of head that up. Yeah. And. I mean, having a dirty draft line can really impact not only the retailer, but also the brewery behind it because their beer isn't being served the way that they would want it to. So you can see, you know, sales and just word of mouth really have a negative impact on uh, a lot of places if these lines aren't clean. And funny enough, awareness of clean beer systems is relatively rare, especially among most uh, of the affected beer drinkers. Yeah, I'm probably one of those. I'm not going to be able to tell you where whether there is, you know, diacetyl, you know, taste in one beer versus, you know, uh, uh, another one is caddy and another, you know, I don't I don't know the beer off flavors. Um, And so I think that maybe I don't know. Is it kind of ruining the magic, right? Like if you if you learn that and you know what that's supposed to taste like, you know what good beer tastes like, first of all, but you also know what bad beer tastes like. So it, whenever I go into, you know, mom and pop shop down the street or local beer bar, am I just going to sound like a jerk saying, yeah, no, this is off. Yeah, no, this one's bad. Nope, this is really bad. <laughs> and just go down the line of all of them um and and not be able to drink beer there i don't know i'm i almost want to be like do you want to see behind the curtain? ignorant of this yeah no i totally understand that uh, a quote here uh if you really truly want to taste beer the way that it was intended or the way that the brewer made it you have to pay attention says angela style uh advanced cicerone manager of education at murray's cheese in new york um, it doesn't matter if you choose the best beer in the world. If it's put through shitty lines, you're going to get shitty beer. Yeah, 
That that sounds <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. It's strange that it doesn't extend to the kegs. It's strange that it doesn't like you're not going to the uh, the pouring spout or the glasses or any like that whole process apparently seems to be just fine. It's the lines that that tend to be the thing that pushes it over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, best practices for draft quality management include biweekly cleanings, recirculating caustic solutions through the entire system using an electric pump, and ensuring that solution is cleared out properly by performing a pH test. A beer that's been through unclean draft lines or taps may have a slightly sour, vinegary flavor due to acetic acids and a buttery flavor from a chemical called that one that you just said, di- diacetyl. Yeah, di- diacetyl or diacetyl. There we go, diacetyl. Man, I just leave the chemical names to you, man. <laughs> chemical <laughs> called diacetyl, the very same flavor used for microwavable butter popcorn. Oh my gosh. Not great when it comes to, to beer. Uh, okay for jelly beans and great for butter popcorn, but, but everything else. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Those off flavors result uh, from beer material building up inside the plastic tubing and beer spoiling bacteria growing and producing those aroma and flavor changing compounds. Now, I just don't want to ever drink beer on tap ever again. (laughs) So what's the bottom line here? More drinkers should be concerned about the cleanliness of their beer and should speak up when they suspect otherwise. Now, this is where you were just mentioning before, you know. I always take a peek at whatever draft tower I'm about to drink from, Styles says. She does this to check for signs of infection like a moldy faucet. Mm. After that question, after that, she asks questions. Who did your line cleaning? Did they just do it? Did they do it properly? Now, see, I just could get on board with that personally. I'm not that, I don't pry that much. But, you know, the server <laughs> may not always have the answers. But this points out as a paying customer, it shouldn't be out of bounds to raise the issue. After all, a diner wouldn't expect to eat off a dirty plate and leave happy, right? True. Very, very, very true. That's a really good, uh, I think, commonality to draw between food and like the, you know, glasses. I don't I'm not going to drink out of a coffee cup that has uh, someone else's lipstick on it because you didn't clean it properly or like, you know, things like that where there's something obviously wrong with the flavor and at cost likely that's not going to be a problem for them to be like oh yeah no that that line not not good at all uh but what do you do in that that instance like do you i feel like the only option is to be like well they either didn't clean it properly or they're not going to clean it properly and that probably extends to literally every single beer that they have on tap do you i I guess you have to walk out or you kind of you take the other tact right like steel is saying you kind of go on the education slash you know, how can I how can I help you help me? I want to get you guys clean lines. I want to make sure that you're serving beer that people think is palatable and not ruining the reputation of, you know, whatever local breweries decide to sell into there. Um, that could be another problem. It's a yeah, it's an entirely different area um, because I, I don't feel as though I could educate anyone. I'd just be like, hey, you should probably clean your draft lines. But I mean, it, right. you either... You either take the route of not ordering a beer, you try and suggest that they clean it if you have enough information, or get something that comes in a can or a bottle, I suppose. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Um, or, or you know, let the distributor know if you have some sort of connection with them, because a lot of times 
the if you're self-distributing or you are doing it through a distributor, that it's not the actual like bar manager's job to do that. Oh, it's, yeah. it's sort of like on the distributor as well to be like, hey, guys, these got to get cleaned. It, like you got to. It's not in their best interest that. either, because if it, the beer is bad or tasting bad, then people aren't going to buy it. And then you see sales slip and then you see negative reviews. And yeah, it's just all bad. So moral of the story, clean your draft lines. Deal. Our next article is coming from ESPN.com. Astros fan buys $500 worth of beer after calling Homer. All right. So I don't know what the status is going to be for the NLCS uh, whenever this episode goes out, but uh, Astros still in it? Mm, As of right now, they're... as of right now, in the AL West, they are 103 on the wins, and that's uh, right. That's above the 97 wins for the A's, so they're doing pretty damn good. Actually, as of this episode going out, on Wednesday the 17th, the Astros and the Boston Red Sox will be battling it out uh, in Game 4. So that is a guarantee. That is 100% going to happen. So good luck, Astros. Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a dog in that fight. I think it's... It's cool to see someone buying beer for folks. I'm always up for that, but $500 worth for just calling a home run. Oh, yeah. So a Houston Astros fan bought about $500 worth of beer for those sitting around him after predicting George Springer would homer Friday in game one of the American League Division Series. Uh, He says, I just love my team, man. Uh, Eddie Flores told the Houston Chronicle. I knew Springer was going to hit one and I wanted everyone to know it. I called it. Flores told the fans around him in Section 103 at Minute Maid Park that he would buy everyone a beer if Springer went deep to lead off uh, the fifth inning. Sure enough, (laughs) Springer connected on a 3-2 pitch to left, not too far from where Flores and his new best friends burst into cheers, and now just for the Astros' 3-0 lead. So Flores bought a beer for everyone who wanted it in the seven rows around him at a cost of more than $300, the Chronicle reported. But by then, Jose Altuve had made it back-to-back home runs for the home team, and Flores reached into his wallet again. Oh, no. (laughs) We bought beer for seven rows straight, Flores told ABC 13. Then it was back-to-back, so I bought another seven rows worth of beer. Regardless of whether they got free beer, Astro fans went home happy uh, for their team. Yeah, no doubt. Well, they they made it. They made it to the uh, the sort of next round here in the MLB playoffs in 2018. So good, good for them. This is as someone who frequents baseball games um, and loves to to watch games in person. This is the kind of thing where it's like when you hear someone screaming, "Like I'm going to buy beers for everybody." If this guy hits a home run, it's like, but I, no way. Like, first of all, even if they hit it, you don't have to. Like, please, please don't. I don't want you to have to spend all that money for your whole section. Um, but the fact that they they sort of like stepped up and actually did it, I don't know. It, it, baseball fans can be kind of nice sometimes. And it's nice to see a story like this every now and then of someone, you know, being being good about it. Sports can be very contentious, you know? They can... Folks fighting. This is like the opposite of that. So I'd love to see it. Our last article of the day comes from Esquire.com. Kyle, you sent this one to me uh, from a different outlet, but I found another place that also picked up the story. Grab the 77-can case of Natty Light so you can play beer pong until you're 80. (laughs) It looks 
absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I, I've I've seen plenty of fifteen packs and even a like forty four pack. Uh, there was a a hams pack at my local grocery store that's like you know thirty six deep, uh, but seventy seven cans looks like a a weapon. It looks like something from a James Bond movie that they would pull out of the ground and be like, well, either the city's going down or we have to drink each of these cans. Now. Kind of reminds me of like the, the stoppers on the freeway to protect you from hitting the barriers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very, very much. So Except not maybe not as effective. No, absolutely not. But this it's wild. Yeah. Cheap beer lovers of the world rejoice. Natural Light released a limited edition case that contains 77 full cans of their signature beer. It's time to relive your college glory days. Uh, as Natural Light announced on Twitter last week to celebrate its creation in the year 1977, it would distribute these 77 packs to retailers around College Park, Maryland. That's pretty great. I mean, we were talking about cheap beer, right? And this is kind of as cheap as it can possibly get can you tell me the price of this whole pack please uh this whole pack actually it it comes in at less than 30 dollars that's what so 77 no, cans what? 30 dollars you're looking at 38 cents a can <laughs> Oof. i i get the whole like yeah you're doing 77 for for the you know 1977 but this just looks unreasonable it looks like a trash can yes it does it, so it, it truly does the, they basically they're shoving 77 cans into one cardboard box it's basically a giant hexagonal shaped box so the six sides uh with what looks like about three to five layers of cans stacked up i don't have measurements on it but it just it just looks like a giant hexagon full of cans i it's kind of amazing, but also just ridiculous. Kind of like a chair. Maybe like you could sit on it and it would be fine. Oh, that's that's even better. You buy a bunch of them and then you've got furniture for your dorm while you're playing beer pong. You could actually use these to set the pong table on. Yeah, yes, yes. But the the more you drink, the further it goes down. It, it's very pretty bad. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I definitely head over to the show notes and click on the article to Esquire. Uh, and you can take a look at this monstrosity yourself yeah please do um one thing i do want to point out about this though is the hexagonal shape is pretty cool i like the idea of like it's uh like a honeycomb type thing where you can fit these together and stack them in a a pretty strong way so imagine like an entire wall of costco being (laughs) just stacked up with this honeycomb looking natty light beehive coming at you soon yeah (laughs) yeah well and then the other part of this is they've got stickers on the side that say warning it's not not heavy so it's not (laughs) comma not heavy (laughs) oh i love me some double negatives that's pretty bad pretty bad boy uh, speaking of things that are not negative, though, show notes are available at podcast.untap.com. And if you've got any questions for us or feedback, be it negative or double negative, we'll take it. Uh, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. And if you could take a second to uh, rate our show on Apple Podcasts or, you know, take a little longer, write a little review. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. We're always reading and uh, trying to integrate feedback as we can. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.